0: Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Mike Zani is back and we talk about all things talent optimization, how to attract, retain, and inspire and engage your top talent in your business. If you're interested in looking at Predictive Index as an option for you and you like all of the things that it can do in terms of designing your team, hiring the right people, inspiring those people to take their talents to the next level and diagnosing any employment issues definitely reach out to Susan or me. You can get Susan, Susan at EliteHighPerformance.com, Rob at EliteHighPerformance.com for me, or you can check out our website, EliteHighPerformance.com. We are one of the only predictive index distributors in Canada, and we also have a other suite of diagnostics, coaching, and leadership services and programs that can combine with it to ensure that you are filling any of those leadership gaps. So definitely reach out if you'd like to check that out. You can get me, Rob, at EliteHighPerformance.com or you can check out the website EliteHighPerformance.com. For all things Mike Zanni, check out his book, The Science of Dream Teams, you can find that on dreamteams.io. Obviously, it's also available on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And for Predictive Index, you can check them out and their learning academy out at predictiveindex.com learning. There's a bunch of really great information there on how talent optimization and the data found within Predictive Index can take your organization and your people To the next level i really hope you enjoy this one if you haven't yet hit subscribe share this with your favorite leaders in your life and especially share this if you know of any leaders who are experiencing the great resignation as a problem in their business today because that extra turnover that employee disengagement all those things can be addressed with not only identified and seen with predictive index, but also addressed with a combination of the understanding and the leadership. So definitely share that with any leaders in your life. And here's the interview with Mike Zani. We are live. Welcome to Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski and as always, we have our in-house high-performance leadership coach, Susan Hobson, bringing the heat, bringing the energy. Susan, how are you?
0: I'm fired up, as always. You know me. I can hardly wait to get this party started. I'm so excited about our guest today, so let's go. Let's introduce Let, him, shall we?
1: Yeah, let's go. But before we get there, right, I want to, obviously, we kick off this show with a quote, but this week, I got a few stats for, for us before we get into the nuts and bolts, and there's two stats here that Amy Edmondson posted on LinkedIn the other day. And the first one says, approximately 70% of employees see no reason to say something when they see something wrong or when they have an idea that would benefit the company. Wow. So 70%. that's uh Psych Safety 101. In her book, she talks about dangerous silence. That is dangerous silence. That's the definition.
0: Oh. I'm just thinking about all those feedback chips being left on the table, never (sighs) cashed in on Oh, the growth ops that are being missed here.
1: That's right. And then the second piece is Gallup research reveals that only three in 10 U.S. employees strongly agree that at work, their opinion counts. And so again, right?
0: That part says it all right there.
1: That says it all. It says it all both from a psych safety perspective, but also from an employee engagement perspective. That's because right. one of the pillars of engagement is being heard by your manager. So with that, we got a lot of work to do with our leaders out there and celebrating the seventh year of acquiring PI Index dressed up for a suit and tie. We, Mike <laughs> Zanny is back to the show. Mike, how are you?
2: Great! It's great to be here. Excited to celebrate our seventh anniversary of our refounding of PI with you and your energy. Thank you, Susan, for bringing the heat.
1: Oh,
0: it's my pleasure. Congrats on the anniversary! And you put the uniform on to celebrate. I love it.
2: I'm usually in a t-shirt, but you know today's high. (laughs) I had to remember how to do it.
1: That's right. eh? It's always hard. You and the rest of the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's probably something common right now,
1: right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on both of those statistics. Like, yeah. what, what are you thinking? and What are you seeing out there?
2: You know, it, it, uh, that level of like to be disenfranchised, you know, it, it's, it reminds me of like when someone walks by a piece of trash, yeah. you know, that they don't bother to pick it up because they're like, it's this tragedy of the commons. You're like, well, there's a lot of trash around. It's really not my job whereas if it's their own home and there's a piece of trash you know they they pick it up immediately and even if you know and 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 then if if it's your neighbor's barrel fell, to, fell over if you like the neighbor you go pick it up for them maybe not all of it but you, you know you try and keep it from blowing down the street cuz you're committed to the community to see that level of disenfranchisement because they 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 won't speak up when something's obviously wrong that's like the trash you know and then and and they and that's because you know they're checked out, they're disengaged, and 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 they've they've their employers have lost the sniff. And what's funny is this is probably this is an average, and I love Amy, but it's probably worse at some companies. You know, ninety five percent, and some companies are cooking on and say no, everyone picks up trash here, we all share. Mm-hmm.
0: When you say that the leaders have lost the sniff, let's interpret that and decode that for our audience, just in case they miss what that actually means. Because I think that's everything, right there, the sniff.
2: Well, I mean, it's there's certainly not one one way to lose the sniff, but you know the the uh, the the fact that they're not focused on this this asset base, and I think it comes from. You know, when we talk about um, in the 70s, we used to talk about, you know, Milton Freeman was this famous economist who talked talked about it's all about shareholders and mm-hmm. it's all about creating shareholder value. And that was a that was a very popular view, and it, it worked for years. And you know, the,
1: the
2: Milton Freeman was put on a pedestal as one of the greats. And and in the 70s and 80s, we we talked about Six Sigma. And you know, we were, we were trying to have perfect manufacturing, you know, 99.997% perfect. And mm-hmm. it's like, if you expect 99.997%, you obviously aren't talking about humans because yeah. humans, like on our best days, we're like uh, 85%, you know? So I really think in the 70s and 80s, we, we weren't focused on the right things. Now, companies have become more enlightened and not all of them, and not all the same, but they've realized, hey, we got to pay more attention to our customers. And then, even more invite, we need to pay attention to our employees. They're an important customer. Maybe even the most important customer, and I would say the absolute most important customer. So when they lose the sniff, I really think it's about losing
0: the,
2: the sense that my most important customer is my employee. And you know some some I've had this argument. They go, no, no, it's the it's the customer still. I go, no, you take care of your employees. Your employees take care of your customer. Like, and I think that's when they lose the sniff.
0: <laughs> that totally makes sense, it, right, it's Rob?
1: Funny, right? And it's it's backs up. So it's funny because it ties right into the next thing that I brought, which was like there's a survey done by McKinsey talking about the Great Resignation. And talking about this disconnect between employers and employees. Mm -hmm. And so what employees – and there's this chart. And if you want it, just send me an email. I'm sure it's on – I mean, it's online obviously as well. But you can send me an email and I'll send it to you. But employees rate being valued by their manager, this feeling of belonging, having caring and trusting teammates – having a flexible schedule, and being valued by their organization higher than employers think that it's important. And to the inverse side of it, employers think that employees care more about compensation, looking for a better job, the health of the, I think it's personal health, but it may be the health of the company, development opportunities, remote work, and being poached by a better job. (laughs) And so it, a lot of what you're talking about there, Mike, with, with Milton Friedman, it comes from that thing, like basically economics 101, which is like pay more and you get better better staff, right? It's that, um, what is it, game theory optimal and like the equilibrium. And I think it's obviously what we're seeing and what, what, Susan and I are really pushing is this idea of you know human centric leadership like what's your take on like what the differences are between you know these two categories
2: it's it's a it's a you it, it's a me or you issue so it's like the lens you see someone write a press release poorly and it's all about it's all about the company and it, it really should be, you write a press release to say, look at all the value for you, the, the reader. And, you know, people are losing sight of that. Um, like when we buy companies, so it's the seventh anniversary, Daniel and I, my business partner, this is our fourth platform company that we've purchased. And we always remember the day one presentation. I and mean, because you literally walk into a room and people have never seen you before. And you're like, Hi, we're your new owners. We're your new bosses. And people are freaked out. Like their eyes are huge. They're like, <laughs> yeah. wow. Well, I-, I thought we were coming to an all company where we were going to, I don't know what we were going to talk about, but I didn't think it was this. And everyone pivots to this me issue. What's in it for me? Does my manager change? Are we in trouble? Are we going to get fired? Little things. Am I going to lose my office? Like, I mean, so it's this me issue. You've got to, Great employers always keep these me issues, and everyone's individual me issue is different. There are some commonalities. No, we're not firing everyone. Okay, good. Um, But if you don't address the me issues, and it's a ton of work, because you've got to, I mean, you could be purchasing a company with 50 employees, or you could be purchasing a company with 5,000, but to track 5,000 me issues is difficult. It's a heavy lift. And it requires you to not just do it at the senior team, but get every every subsequent level to trickle this down so that you actually have a conversation. It's like, Susan, what are you concerned about this acquisition? Like, talk to me. Like, what are your fears? What are what are you what do you think is good about it? And get them talking and address these me issues. I don't think companies are doing that enough. And when when we heard about this great resignation, the first thing that Jackie Dooby, who's my head of uh, talent optimization, she's you would call her the the most senior HR person. We don't call it HR in our company, but she would be it. We we actually went to an all company meeting and just says, "How can we make your job better? Let's make your job here better. It's easier to make your job here better in most cases." than it is to go find a new company. And the only way you can do that is ask, like, Susan, how can I make your job better? And if you find out, you uncover these me issues, and and they may be short-term ones, they may be long-term ones, and they may not be fixable, but then you can at least help them eventually move on and be happy, and and they'll give you credit for that. They'll be happy alumni.
0: Where do we begin, if we're falling on the other side of the base camp, we recognize that maybe we are leaders that have failed to create the conditions within our organization that actually make it feel safe enough to openly and honestly express whatever that feedback is when our manager comes and asks for it.
2: Well, it, it's not going to happen quickly. Um, I think leadership, leadership has the onus on them to to be open, transparent, and vulnerable first, because if they're not vulnerable first, they their their employees and they don't create this culture of being willing willing to open up. Because companies that don't have that openness, transparency, and, and sense of it's safe to be vulnerable, and I mean this this is Lencioni talks about this with the five dysfunctions of a team, and it's just mm-hmm. it. it without trust. And I think the way to get there is if senior leadership goes on this journey, this mission to be open, transparent, and create a a place where you can be vulnerable, then you can have this conversation. So Susan, the Susans of the world, in my example of coming up to you, what's your me issue, will Mm -hmm. actually tell you as opposed to, oh, it's fine. I'm good. All's good. Yeah. Love it. Love it here. It's great. So your theory is-
0: is that in this McKinsey study of those organizations that are reporting that that uh, obviously 70% of those employees aren't being transparent and forthcoming with the feedback, it's because their leaders have not done that with them.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I, I talk about, um, you know, that sort of self-awareness model. I think we talked about it front of t-shirt back of Mm t-shirt. And one of the beautiful parts of that is if you, if you take your, your foibles, your growth opportunities, your back of t-shirt items, and you share them with your direct reports. And and may, and I do it with the whole company just to create this environment. They're like, well, the, the boss is willing to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I want help with this. If you see it, call me on it because I'm trying to not do this. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they go, wow, that was either maybe some people think it's brave or open or transparent, but then when you go to discover what's on, on their development issues, they're more willing. They're like, well, you did it. You did it first. That's usually a good sign that it's safe.
0: I remember you using that, uh, Example of McMoney, I think you called him, was one of the leaders in your organization last podcast, where he just got yeah, up John. and had a rant, <laughs> and John you're McMoney. like, you know what? Yeah, and McMoney, and so that is a perfect example of that, right? Is like where we create those conditions where if somebody's having a bad day, even the leader, the senior leadership is open and transparent and forthcoming about that, it just immediately creates that safe space for everybody else to step into,
2: right? It does and it actually creates a space to be it's okay like if you could say hey you know yesterday when I went on a rant I'm sorry yeah that's not me every day it is me yeah, yeah it was me yesterday and yeah. please forgive me and then they're like I'll try <laughs> and they're more likely to accept that yeah um safety it's funny uh birds um I want to, this is going to be a little bit of a weird example of uh, safety. So birds like to hang out where there's a lot of bird poo. Why is this? Because it's a safe place. Other birds were here before. It's kind of gross. I agree. I don't want to (laughs) stand on bird poo. The birds love it. They're like, oh yeah, there's obviously, this is a great safe place. Other birds have been here before. So it's like, I, I think you have to create this safety and multiple examples of it. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this is a totally safe place. I can be totally open and transparent. And the the, the leaders out there, if they don't like, and you have to overdo it. You're like, mm-hmm. wow, you're really open. You're really vulnerable. You're you're really working on this. You you really care about us. So, but this is just causing it to expand because, like I said about the averages, the good, the good companies have a little bit of a retention problem, the great companies don't. The average and and bad ones, it's it's a yard sale.
0: Yeah, and that's where we left you last time, right? We we said it was we were calling it the great resignation, like most of the rest of the world. And you were calling it the great retention. I loved it. Best reframe of all time, right? But uh for those yeah. companies out there who because I, I think I was talking about this when we last were together. I was talking to one of my leaders who's experienced 53% attrition rate over the last six months. And we were talking about and throwing all those sporting metaphors on the table. So if you are one of these leaders, right, who's in charge of helping their teams make a comeback, right, from a retention standpoint, what are the things that they absolutely need to be prioritizing most right now? Well,
2: they, I mean, they need to do a triage on why people are leaving. Um, you know, even if it, and it could be small things like we we realized we started losing some tech talent and, and because of inflation, uh, job you know we we're like maybe we're like ten percent below market right now on comp and it's still crazy high but we're still below
0: yeah
2: that that's the issue so they they're going to have to do the the triage yeah and if it's just something like being ten percent below comp that's an easy fix if you have yeah. the gross margins to do so. But the harder, harder fix is when you have, you know, toxic cultures, when you have pockets of managers who have never been trained and have gotten by with being really bad managers for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I think when you have uh, a very competitive, uh, you know, corrosive environment, where,
0: corrosive, competitive culture,
2: you know, there, there can be competitive, healthy, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, like the the, you know, the broker, the the brokers who are always competing to, you know, hit the target at the end of the week and
0: ring the bell, uh,
2: but it can, it can (laughs) certainly be corrosive where I'm taking credit for your work. Um, and just to get ahead at all costs. But I, I think the triage on this, it, there's a couple of things it's, it's, do you have a mission that they are, really connecting with because I think our more enlightened younger generations Mm -hmm. expect that. Mm -hmm. Do you have a culture that is appropriate? You know, it'll be different if you're an investment bank or if you're not for profit. Um, There's no one size fits all. And the only way you're going to get there is by really asking and having these discussions. And Mm -hmm. it it's no harder than doing research on your own product. You know, Mm -hmm. what do you like about a product? What do you not Like you just have to get there with, and it may not be senior leadership who can do it. Um, you may have to even bring in an outside consultant to do it
1: mm-hmm. because
2: they don't feel comfortable talking with the toxic corrosive leaders.
1: Maybe <laughs> That's a really
0: good tip. Even just that little one right there. And I think in th- with the, this leader, the example I think, um, was that they, in their industry, they were just seeing rampant levels of burnout. And I think that's what she's really challenged with, right? It's like, the sheer magnitude of the disruption, being displaced, working from home, it's like it was just burning her people out left, right, and center. And I know in the PI report that we read um, that I believe we got from you, your organization, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's happening across all boards right now. where It's like 50% or something like that.
2: Yeah, it's the tough. I mean, just the, the last 18 months, uh, maybe 20 months now, it's just such such an abuse of the workforce. So if you abuse something that bad, it's like wartime conditions. You know, you can't keep a soldier in theater that long and expect them to not have some form of PTSD. We've kept our workers in this sort of wartime environment. It might be you had a reduction in force or reduction in, in pay or you're Maybe you're a frontline worker and you have to work with PP&E that you're not comfortable with and all of these stressors. And then coming back, it's remote and then hybrid and hybrid. Hybrid's harder than remote. It's totally wonky. And it still hasn't fixed itself. And people want to get back to normal. And you go, we're not going back to anything. I hope there's a new normal that's in the future but it's not back to it. It's let's go find out what it is. And all of that creates stress because it's change.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm I'm not surprised, but the conversation is, is so simple. It's it's I'll use Rob. It's like, Rob, you know, what can we do to make your job better? You know, is it, and it's simple. Is it, do you, do you like your job? Do you fit with your manager? Do you fit with culture? Do you like the mission of the company? Do you like the people that you work with? And you, you ask questions. They're all of a sudden they're like, and you could be the manager, which could be the problem. You're like, and I realize I could be part of the problem. If you get to the bottom of those questions, that then all of a sudden you're gonna you're gonna see. You're like, we can turn that around, Rob, or no, we can't, and make make your job here at our company better. And that's a it's just a heavy lift mm-hmm. but it's cheaper it's cheaper than recruiting a new employee and onboarding them.
0: <laughs> we explored that in our solo podcast if you didn't hear it <laughs> but you're absolutely right the stats bear that out
1: yeah it's what was we were saying it's six to nine months of of someone's wage to replace an employee so and then obviously it's even more than that if it's executives or whatever but
2: yeah I've heard it's it's three months to five years. Wow. You, get the wrong, you get the wrong CEO or the wrong product person.
0: Yeah.
2: Imagine, you imagine the head of product for the new iPhone, just being totally toxic and awful. And you like <laughs> delays something just two months. That would easily be five years.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. I think, I mean, like Mike, like you're so right in the sense of this trust building and like, w- like, it's funny you say like bring in a consultant to help you because I keep hearing as someone who's coaching people is and we had a manufacturing company that this was pre-pandemic they have like 30 to 40% turnover within the first 3 months. So a new employee starts and basically like they're quitting within 90 days. And we were trying to get to the bottom of like what's going on with it, whatever. And it was so funny. Was, the first meeting was like, how come we've never asked what they want and what's going on? And you're like, well, this is, this would have been a good thing to think of. Um, but then the second half of it is a lot of the first meeting was the, the current employees really, really, getting comfortable sharing and there was a lot of like because the trust wasn't there there was a lot of pushback from that meeting around why am i here it's just going to be extra work you know the underlying trust wasn't there and it's yeah i mean you're right it, it takes an over compensation of activity from the leader to establish and maintain trust because I just think it's like in our culture to believe that, you know, the company's there to make money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we,
2: we you just reminded me of something. We use this software called menti.com. It's a polling software. Um, we do real-time polling, uh, which is sort of a sentiment analysis with our employees. And we'll ask a tough question. You know, how are you feeling about about this, say we gave them bad news, or how are you feeling today in the heart of the pandemic? And the word cloud starts popping up real time, and it's like exhausted, dejected, hopeless. And I mean, you're seeing words, you're like, oh God, my, my people are dying. You <laughs> yeah. know. But what's interesting is if you you actually asked and flashed it up real time, which meant this company is not hiding from the answer. Senior management is not hiding. And then someone could say in chat, well, since we all feel like that, what are you going to do about it? And you're like, we don't know yet, but we heard you. You all heard us hear you. Yeah, You saw and you're like, wow, some people are even worse than I am. I just put, you know, tired. Some people are, (laughs) you know, fully like hopeless. That builds the trust because they're like, okay, company cares. They're being vulnerable because they, they threw it up there real time. And this sentiment analysis, it it builds team. It's almost like having the locker room discussion with your sports team. You're like, nope, let's, 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 let's actually close the doors, keep, keep the press out of here. We're we're doing this ourselves. We're gonna mm-hmm. fix this. Mm-hmm. And you're being willing to be in there with them, fixing it and hearing the real nitty-gritty issues. And then, you know, it, it can be like, hey, a month ago you were feeling really tired. How are you feeling now? Better, still tired, but trending, and you know you or or like nope, still horrible. Um, I I think companies can really gain the sentiment, and we learn it from pollsters, where you're 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 trying to win the hearts and minds of your people, and they they talk about change management. Twenty percent of people get on board pretty quickly, and this is an estimate. 20% 20% really will never get on board. So you're trying to win the hearts and minds of the 60, the meaty middle. And that's that's also with this sentiment polling. If people are feeling, they're like, can we move the meaty middle better? And then when someone sees that happening, it becomes contagious. And it, they drag the last 20 with them. That I, I think you can't be afraid to, to really get your hands dirty on that meaty middle. and. This, this sentiment stuff can be, are my messages working? Are our programs working? Is, say you did a reorg or, or something, Is how are they feeling about that? And really getting that sentiment so you know what's working and what's not.
0: And the responsiveness to that. We talked about that a little bit last time, right, gentlemen? That's really how you earn the trust, is not only asking the difficult questions and really unearthing whatever it is that's going on behind the scenes of your your people right but the responsiveness so where my leaders who I, who were getting that feedback on burnout like brought us in to do breaking burnout programs i mean that just i can't even tell you what that did for the culture and for the the engagement right because they in the feedback that we got it was like wow like your responsiveness to this to this issue really shows me how much you guys care even though it's hard and we're up against it right now. We're burning out. Even just that, right? No matter how that plays out, the responsiveness is what earns the hearts and the minds of your people.
2: Yeah. And we tell, so we have we have an engagement uh, product on, on our platform. Uh, we call it an employee experience survey. And people ask us, how often should we survey our troops? And you're like, as often as you can uh, deal with the responses. So if you're going to ask questions, like I was suggesting on Menti, you have to, you have to take action, but you, you can actually be honest and say, Hey, there were five themes. We can't work on all five at the same time. We picked one. We're going to work on, we heard the other four, they're being parked and we're going to try not to let those get worse, but we're going to work on one. And that way, someone who was, they're like, nah, that's not the one I would have picked, but at least you're doing something. Because, so I I do think, you know, so thank you, Susan, for bringing that up. Only ask questions if you're willing to do something about it, or you're just going to create more of
0: a problem. Yeah, I think that's what I really wanted to highlight there. (laughs) <laughs> for all our leaders out there, right? It's not It's not just the one stage. I mean, we had an expert on here last week. We were talking about DEI, right? And she was saying it's not enough to just assess it. In fact, there's a lot of research that suggests just assessing DEI itself can actually make that worse. You know, like you have to make sure that you're doing this in a comprehensive way, right? Where there's actually... Like visible action being taken in response to what's being assessed.
2: I need to throw myself under the bus on a DEI assessment. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh.
0: You no, know,
2: we, we. Um, well, I'm in a Vistage group, and you know this peer advisory. One of one of the CEOs in the group says, "Hey, we did a we did a, a compensation study, and it turns out we're we're not paying the females as much as the males." And you're like, "Oh man." And he, he says, we have to do it every six months because it, it constantly gets out of whack. So do it. So so we do the, we do this compensation study and there are two people who who weren't being compensated fairly uh, according to their peers. And one was Jackie Doobie, the head of talent optimization and my direct report. And it's like, I'm like, sorry, that's my fault. Being the boss of, you know, and the amount of reviews and, but it's just—it's so interesting. You have to be mea, mea culpa, my dad. Like, yeah. and let's check it again and do something about it. But anyway, I wanted to throw myself under the bus because I felt really bad about that.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that's the, what Manette uh, was talking about. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and, and Mike, it's funny, right? So we just we just ran. Well, obviously, we were in the PI Index training, and you spoke Woo-hoo! you spoke up top with that. Um, a few weeks ago and so we ran our whole team through not only the behavioral assessments but also like we did the team assessment and we'll be doing i think we'll probably try the engagement one as well while we're at it just to see what it looks like do you want to just walk us through a little bit of like how does the pi index work and then like how does it help us hire and optimize our talent
2: well that's it that's that, that is a big, big question. So, <laughs> I, I mean, we're, we're probably most well-known for our behavioral assessment. It's not our only assessment, but it's the one that people probably like the best because they like talking about themselves and they like the understanding. They're like, wow, how did you know that much about me in six minutes? Like I just answered two questions and this is scary that you know that much about me. And so that's, that, that's really powerful. But left alone that's not enough that's just like great susan learned something about herself and she she's like yeah that's me you maybe you share it with a family member maybe you share it with a coworker but it's not connected to the strategy or the hiring process what we also do is we have we have benchmarking for a job so let's now say that you're applying for i don't know what what what's your reference profile susan my She's a reference? maverick. Okay, maverick. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So it's like, now I would be like, Susan, you're applying for a controller position. And you're going to be like, oh, no. Like, mavericks are, ter- you know, they're like risk-tolerant, big picture, looser on attention to detail unless they think it's really important, you know. And controllers need to be, like, buttoned up and <laughs> yeah. precise and perfect. Not this guy we would we would take a controller position in accounting and you would apply for it. And, and, you know, we would, one, gain agreement, what type of controller do we want? But most people know that position. It's high attention to detail, a lot of repetition, not very verbal. Um, and you would go to that and be like, no, no, that's, that's a terrible fit. So one of the things we could do is we actually have this uh, job description grader. So we, it's 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 machine learning. We, you grab a job description. We analyze it with natural language processing, and it tells you this job description is trying to attract X Y Z people behavior.
1: So, <laughs>
2: so so if, if I'm changer. the warm bubbly, what, but what if I'm the warm bubbly uh, junior HR person and I write the job descriptions because I like to write? So I write this warm bubbly thing about a controller and the controller is going to read that and be like, that sounds terrible versus like, I would recruit a maverick like this. You would be like, do you like big ideas? Do you like changing the world? Do you like breaking ground on innovative things? Are you in it for the connection to a mission that will change the world? And the maverick's like, yeah. (laughs) And then the controller job description should sound like this: Do you like building precision systems so you can eliminate error from your organization, so that your job gets easier because you are building really scalable, high tolerance, data driven models? And they're like, "Yes, that's what I want to do." And Susan, you'd be like, Bleh. "You're like, <laughs> you'd puke on that." So what we do is instead of me just being, you know, tongue in cheek here we actually have fit score analysis so that we make sure that one, you're writing good job descriptions, you're getting the right benchmarks for each job in your organization. And then two, when you start, when you start interviewing employees and assessing them, that you're making sure that they are the right fit or close before they even, before they even, you know, get to in-person interviewing. And that's just on the pre-hire, the, 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 the post-hire side is using the same data, the same systems and analytics to say, okay, Susan and Rob work together. What are the joys and frustrations with these two together? And then let's just say there's a team of seven of us. And then you go, are we a homogenous team? Are we a heterogeneous team? Do we have gaps? Should we hire for those gaps if we're hiring or promote for those gaps uh, or reassign teams if we can? and Is that team, as it's currently constructed, a good fit for the work that we need to do? And you go, well, how do you do that? We have a a work or strategy assessment, which says, hey, here's the work that you need to do. And my favorite example, you take a hospital, senior team at a hospital. You think about hospitals, Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm, the promise that When you come to the hospital, they're going to give you the right drugs at the right time in the right dose and do surgery on the right leg, the correct (laughs) leg, not necessarily the right leg, the correct leg. So the the whole hospital system is, is measured on outcomes and accuracy, first do no harm, so they're really risk intolerant. So there's a center of excellence here in Boston. We have great medical community here, a lot of med schools, and they are, they are, perfect fit for a hospital, like super tight, precise. And what if you all of a sudden said, Hey, you're not going to just run a hospital anymore. You're going to do a roll-up of hospitals and you have to glue together all these companies and cultures and, and inspire people for the new thing. And that team would stink at that. They, they, one, they would hate it and then quit. And two, they'd be bad at it. So you have to say like, Hey, if the work changes, your team needs to change or more for stretch in some way. So all of those tools collectively um, create a system we call a talent optimization platform. And the modules are design. What are you trying to build? You know, hire, hiring people, inspire. How do you work on interpersonal relationships? So you get the most out of your people and diagnose, which is the engagement and performance stuff. And that's, that's the collective. So. It's a little complicated and it's hard to do just verbally here without showing you some sort of pictures, but <laughs> that's,
0: that's okay. That's- We're just wetting the appetite today, Mike. That's the whole purpose of this right. because yeah, we obviously are now running alongside you up here North of the border and trying to really, you know, scream this from the rooftops right now. Cause we have certainly seen the power of these tools So when it comes to optimizing the top talent that you have, if you're lucky enough to have retained them during the great retention, what are your top tips for that? Because I feel like that's the one space that we haven't really delved too deeply into. And I think that that's also a question that's coming up pretty heavy across the board right now. Retention. The retention of the top talent, right? And optimizing the top talent that they're lucky enough to have retained,
2: I think you need you need to do some some analytics uh, on, on performance because you don't necessarily want to retain your low performers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: As much as you you hate to say that you're, you're most businesses work in a salary cap. Like sports teams, they don't yeah. have infinite money. We're not the New York Yankees. You don't just get to hire <laughs> yeah. yeah. everybody, the best and the brightest. Maybe a few organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation get to hire the the best. But most organizations uh, have salary caps. So if you have underperforming employees, you've got dead spots or weak spots that could be filled by someone else. So what we like to do is create a two-by-two matrix on engagement, high or low, performance, high or low. And that makes four buckets. You have the high-high. Highly engaged, high-performing employees. These are your cultural champions. These are the people that you need to retain. These cre- these people create your culture, and without them, you would fail. Like, do not- they're easy to ignore because they don't require a lot of care and feeding? That's but right. But don't ever do that because these these are gold. You know. Then let's go all the way to the other quadrant. Low, low. This one. This is toxic, low performing. You know, low disengaged, disengaged, and the first thing a lot of leaders, when they ignore it, I don't have any of those. Like, yeah, you do. <laughs> and then two, then they get mad at them. And they go, "It's not their fault. You created this mess, right?" Like, but you, you're, you're not going to easily, if ever, change two axes: disengagement and performance. Like here you you really need to work on exit strategies for the people who are heavily in this quadrant and they are toxic because mm-hmm. happiness and engagement are contagious. Um, yeah. So now let's go to the high engagement, low performance. Now these might be the people who come in on Monday morning and they make a bagel and they get coffee and they chat with everyone and they love it, but they're not getting it done,
0: yeah.
2: you know, <laughs> and what's funny is your high performers know they're low performers. This is just a plain old fashioned performance improvement process, not Mm -hmm. always successful, but you have to be clear. You're like, Hey, you're not an A performer currently. Maybe you're a B. What's the pathway to a, what can we do? What can we change? Can we take things off your plate? Can we train you? Is there something going on in your life that's preventing you from doing that? Is it, is it fit with job? Is it fit with manager? My favorite bucket High-performing, low engagement. These are your grinders. They're still at your company for some reason. They're high performers. This is the turnaround. This is the one that you ask that question. You're like, what can I do personally? What can we do as a company to make your life better? And I think when you have that grid, now you have different action in each of those buckets. Maybe you don't want to just retain. Like, so it's not just retain, retain, retain. It's like make happy alumni, make performance improvement, celebrate and don't forget them. And this one is like figure out the engagement issue.
1: I love
0: that. I love that. And that is a definite tool that we need to make sure people get their hands on. I love the idea of that four, by that two by two matrix.
2: Yeah, I actually have, I did a, I did a webinar on it. We have some cool graphics um and some we did it like a cookbook here's what you do here are the do's or the don'ts of what what you do in each of those quadrants that uh it's also it's also in the book the science of dream teams
1: (laughs) that's right the science of dream teams dreamteams.io if you want to buy that or obviously it's on amazon as well but dreamteams.io if you want to get that mike just to wrap things up here um if obviously the Science of Dream teams is a great thing, if they want to find more about Predictive Index, they can just go to PredictiveIndex.com. Where else can they find more about you and what you do? Well, I
2: think if they want to go to PredictiveIndex.com slash learn, because I think they're if you're listening to this podcast, you want to learn about talent related issues. There's a lot on talent optimization. I'd encourage you to Try and get talent optimi- optimize certified because I think it's a journey. You know, you're always learning about how to do this better, and you know, start going on that journey with some of our content. You'll love it, and and hopefully love it. I think if, if the DreamTeams.io has a lot on on me personally, I'd love to connect with people on 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 LinkedIn. Um. There aren't many Mike Zonis in on LinkedIn, so you <laughs> you should find there is another one. He runs Track. We've met, um, and uh, he lives close by. He's in Worcester. I'm in Boston. We're only forty wow. minutes. <laughs>
1: so we have gonna wow. go
2: We made big plans. We're gonna go to. We're gonna go get a beer. Um, <laughs> so I, I I would love to meet meet with your your audience, and uh, because this is a constant journey, and love talking about about talent talent related issues.
1: We love it. And yeah, we'll, we'll drop the right LinkedIn profile into the podcast notes. So if people are out there and they want that, and, and absolutely, like I took the the talent optimization certified on the website. It was great. It was a couple hours of, of good material and definitely um, something that you know you can digest and really breaks down those categories, design, hire, inspire, and engage. So definitely check that out. For us, obviously, subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any leaders in your life that want to learn more about how to create dream teams or any of the PI and great retention, great resignation stuff we talked about today, shoot this over to them. We would super appreciate that. Susan, is there anything you want to leave us with today?
0: Ah, My cup runneth over. I feel like whether or not you're trying to make a comeback, you're trying to retain that awesome top talent that you have, or you're trying to learn about how to optimize that top talent, I feel like this show was just saturated with so much good advice, tools, strategies, tactics that help you hit the ground running in whichever matrix that is. Uh I can't be more thankful to you, Mike. Thank you for coming in. I read the science of dream teams. I've been handing it out to all my clients and trying to spread that ripple effect because honestly, for anybody out there who's ever played on a dream team, to be in that locker room, to have that experience, in my humble opinion, sports or business. That's what it's all about. So if we've what incited that, if we've incited that appetite today, which I think we have, I'm one happy maverick.
2: <laughs> Susan, thank you. Mike, my, my cup runneth over now too with that <laughs> incredibly gracious uh, comment. Thank you.
1: And as Rob, the what is it, and as the individualist who's who's the so we have a discovering team. So they're all t- mostly top left folks. And I'm actually slightly in the bottom right. So I'm the team anchor. Individuals sure can be are.
2: all over that middle. It, it's a really, your individualists are a great bridger. I love it. It's um, <laughs> so important. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, my 14-year-old is an individualist. So I, I, I have a, a warm spot in my heart.
1: That's right. Eh? And I I'm the I'm the yang to Susan's yin. So one, two so punch. The uh, what I wanted to say here is just is there's two things that I took away from this one. Obviously, we talked about trust a lot and about you know really starting there. And for me, it's literally the foundation of everything. There's no team without trust. There's no Continuous improvement without trust, even if we like we talked a little bit about Six Sigma, but there's no like growth mindset, there's no Kaizen, there's no continuous improvement activities without trust. So let's start there. The second thing I just wanted to say is what Mike was talking about there about asking the questions, right? It's finding the root causes of what's going on in your organizations and being open and vulnerable. And to be honest, brave enough to ask those questions to do something about it. And I mean, Mike's obviously a very brave and courageous leader, throwing himself under the bus for everyone to hear. Mike, I really appreciate you joining us today. This was an awesome episode. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you.
2: No, we love being on Leadership Launchpad. And Rob, thank you, Susan. It's great. And uh, stay warm up there in the Great North.
1: That's right. Stay warm, everyone. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.